Welcome to my podcast, Everyday Sublime, shedding light on yin yoga and meditation. I'm your host, Josh Summers, and I'm a yin yoga and meditation teacher and trainer, as well as a licensed acupuncturist. This podcast is intended to be an in-depth exploration of the intersections between yin yoga, Chinese medicine, and meditation, and each episode will shed light on one or several of these themes. This episode is part two of a four-part interview series with yin master Bernie Clark. Here, Bernie and I talk about everything related to the word hyper. We talk about concerns around hypermobility in yin yoga in particular, and we also look at the issues of hyperextension, particularly hyperextension of the knee, and how to think about that in terms of our practice. Contained within this interview, we also explore how to think about exercising our joints, and particularly the two ways that we'd want to think about stressing and applying exercise to our joints. So without further ado, I bring you again, Bernie Clark. Um... Another thing, Bernie, I want to talk to you about are some of the common fears that the yoga world, yoga land at large, has in regards to yin yoga. And one of those fears is often articulated around concerns with students that are hypermobile. And I know you've written some really nice articles about hypermobility and other articles defending yin yoga against some of these fears, but I thought it would be good to try to speak around these topics, walk through them a little bit, and, and really flesh out kind of the, the theoretical reasons for why these fears are maybe overblown, um, and help, particularly help yin yoga teachers be better equipped with defensive arguments <laughs> for things that right. they often get charged with. So well, I think this whole thing about hypermobility is a specific instant of a broader fear that comes up, and that is that we shouldn't stress our joints. And the fear with hypermobility is people are already hypermobile on the joints, so they shouldn't stress the joints. Another way of this comes up is you shouldn't stress ligaments. You shouldn't stress joint capsules. And they're always afraid that you know we're, we're stressing these tissues, which in our young yoga practice, we've been told never to do that. Never, and they use negative terms, never dump into the joints never crunch into your lower back, never you know, collapse, and they have all these negative sounding synonyms for the word stress. But all tissues need stress to be healthy, including our joints. And I'm not sure where this whole idea came up that ligaments don't stretch. It seems to be taken as gospel in the young world, but that's not true at all. We have a big long ligament in our, our back between each vertebrae. It's called the yellow ligament, the ligamentum flavum. And it's designed to stretch 50 to 60%, which is as much as most muscles stretch. We've got uh, another ligament in the back of the neck, the neutral ligament. It's designed to stretch up to 20%. It's an anti-gravity ligament. When you stretch these ligaments, when they release and they snap back, they're saving the muscles from having to do work. Our Achilles tendon in the ankle, our IT band, these are all elastic tissues to varying degrees. And their recoil is what helps us walk so efficiently. So I'm not sure where this whole idea came that we shouldn't stretch ligaments. 
there are some ligaments, like the cruciate ligaments in your knee, you know, you don't want those stretching too much, but even they stretch four or five percent. So it's just not scientifically true that we shouldn't stretch connective tissues, ligaments, joint capsules. These things are designed to stretch. They have a lot of elastin fibers in them. Right, and you're using the two words stress and stretch kind of interchangeably there. Um, there is a difference. There is a difference, and I'm just curious, like, I mean, you, it, it's interesting to consider that, yes, these ligaments probably do need to be stretched too, um, but the general premise, as I've understood it in yin yoga, is that we're not actually necessarily seeking elongation past a permanent, uh, past a safe range of motion or past a certain optimal length. Correct. Right. Our, our intention is to stress tissues. Now, in that stress, a stretch may happen, but that's not the intention. The intention is to stress the tissues. But sometimes the argument comes up that you shouldn't stretch ligaments. And so, yes, we have two comments on that. One is our intention is to stress the ligament. And that's the only way that you can activate the myofibroblasts and the fibroblasts and the chondrocytes and all these cells that create new tissue. They get activated through stress. So if you never stress them, they'll turn off and the tissue will atrophy. So we stress them to activate these cells, but a stretch may result. That stretch by itself is not harmful. In fact, it's required for most of our tissues that they be allowed to stretch. So in our yin practice, we're intending to stress ligaments, joint capsules, bones, muscles, all these tissues we're stressing. If a stretch happens, that's okay. Now you can do too much. You can do too much of anything. You can overstress a tissue, you can overstretch the muscle. You can always do too much. But just because you can do too much doesn't mean you shouldn't do anything. People tend to make this binary because right. you could hurt yourself getting out of bed in the morning. Let's never get out of bed in the morning. That, that I'm, I'm willing to get on board with that <laughs> certain some days, particularly in this political climate. All right. Um, let me so, see. So that is one instance. Hypermobility is one instance of this. You should never stress these tissues. So you got somebody who's hypermobile. Well, that's an umbrella term. There's lots of causes of hypermobility. It could be a genetic disorder of the collagen, something like Marfan syndrome or Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, where these people do have, for whatever reason, very strange proteins making up their tissues, and they can easily go too far. Yin yoga, yang yoga, any yoga could be too much for these people, but they're very rare. That's like one person in 5,000 has this. Right. You've got another group of people who are hypermobile because they've got joint damage, and the normal restraining tissues around the joint don't work anymore. They've hyperextended to the point where they damage the joint capsule, now there's no restraint. These people, too, have to be careful of going too far. You get other people who would be called hypermobile, and it's just the shape of their bones. They can do more than normal people can, but they're not unstable. They you know, Look at most contortionists working at a Cirque du Soleil. They're hypermobile, but they're also hyperstable. Mm -hmm. They can do a one-hand handstand with a hyperextended elbow, and it's fine for them because they got the bones for it, and they've trained over years to strengthen all the tissues around the joint capsule. So when people say hypermobile people shouldn't do yin yoga, which type of hypermobile person? Someone with a connective tissue disorder? I would agree. Yeah, they should really check with their doctor before doing yin yoga, restorative yoga, any yoga. Somebody who's a contortionist, a dancer, maybe perfectly fine for them to do it because their body can take it. But regardless of all that, we don't in yin yoga take people to extreme ranges of motion. 
uh, you know, in Ashtanga, the advanced series, there's many poses where you fit, put both feet behind your head to eat Padashashasana. There's nothing like that in yin yoga. We don't have extreme external rotations. Uh, there is the one pose we call straddle or dragonfly, Stangis would call it Upavishta Kanasana, the legs apart and fold forward. But even that is not a hugely extreme movement for most people. But even if it was, people who are hypermobile, I've had Cirque du Soleil people come to my classes and they're not there to get more mobility. They're there to get calmness. They're there for the meditative aspect. They're there to work on the energy body. Um, and that's fine. They can do all that in yin yoga. And we don't encourage them to go to end range of motion. I like to say this way, that time is more important than intensity. We don't have to go to the maximum range. We want to find the Goldilocks position, where it's not too much, but it's also not too little. So find the midpoint where there's some sensation, then linger longer. You don't have to be at the maximum range of motion that your body has. And that really is the the, the concern, the legit, a somewhat legitimate concern about uh, hypermobility is that it's overstressing the joint at the end point of range of motion, right? Right. And yeah, well, how would you know that? How would you know someone is at the end point? No, how would you know you're overstressing somebody at the end range? Usually if you're overdoing something, the body will tell you. We've got a very good feedback system in our body called pain. And if you're starting to damage the body, it will tell you it's protecting itself. Now, if you ignore those signals or you've never learned to pay attention to them, that can be bad. But just because you're at end range isn't a problem. The body is designed to go to end range. Now, what do you do when you're there? If you're bearing a lot of load at end range, that's a recipe for disaster. But if you're not bearing a load and you're at end range, there should be no problem. Right. And there's, uh, I learned this from Professor Stu McGill. And Paul Grilly also echoes it, that there's kind of two ways you can work a joint. If the joint is bearing a load, you stiffen the joint reduce its range of motion to bear the load. But if the joint is not bearing a load, you can passively take it to its end's range of motion. So if you want to establish mobility in a joint, you do when it's not bearing a load. If you want to establish strength and stability in a joint, you do it when it's as close to neutral as possible. So this is this is kind of, and this is, comes up in your book, it's, it's sort of um, your rubric for how to safely stress joints. There's, right. there's yang, a yang way and a yin way. To, and they're, they're diff different ways of working. Where I think it gets a little confusing, and, and, and I hope you can walk me through this, is um, with the yin ap approach, you're saying you're taking a joint unloaded right. to a particular point and, and, letting it, and, and increasing mobility there. But in yin yoga, we also do talk about, at, in a passive way, we're loading a mechanical force into the joint to activate the chondrocytes, activate the fibroblasts. And I think that's where it can get a little confusing for people to think, okay, is this an un unloaded experience or is this loaded? What kind of load are we talking about? Yeah, it's the spectrum. And we, we need some load. It can't be zero. If there's no stress, there's no health. If there's too much stress, there's no health. So there's actually an N-shaped curve. In my book, I've got a little graphic that shows on the vertical axis health and on the horizontal axis stress, and it makes the letter N. If you have no stress, tissues atrophy. If you have too much stress, tissues degenerate. So it's at the far end that if you take your joint to its maximum range of motion under a lot of stress, you're gonna degenerate that joint. If you never stress the joint, it'll atrophy. So you wanna be somewhere in the middle. You can take it to a 
end range with very little load, or you can put high load and don't move it at all. So there's a trade-off between those two parameters. You need some stress, but you don't need to add other stress to it. Like somebody's dropping back to wheel, they're dropping back to Urtfadamarasana. They're going through a huge range of motion in their spine, and the spine is bearing the whole load of their upper body. So you have the worst of both worlds. They're going through a huge range of motion, and they're bearing a lot of, of weight. And going quickly. Yeah, well, hopefully you go slower is better, but some people fall into it, which can be a problem. Compare that to, say, sphinx pose. Sphinx pose also is a backbend. You're also extending the spine, but it's not bearing any extra load. There is a stress from the pose itself, but if you actually measure how much stress that is compared to going into wheel, you know, it's 100 times the stress. Right, and, and, and you know, I mean, I, I totally get that with, with the backbend where people's hackles go up is when you start bringing that into the knee. Right. For example, if you, if you as a yin teacher, uh, endorse or advocate the opportunity to explore knee hyperextension, you know, you might as well tell people that you, you kill babies before breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this, this comes up in my book as well as I talk about the knee is designed to hyperextend. We're built to do that. If, because we're a walking primate, we have to be able to hyperextend the back leg. And on average, people hyperextend 78 degrees. But I, the range... Sorry, I, sorry to interrupt. I found that explanation in your book fascinating. As someone who studied anthropology way back, you know, this, this evolutionary adaptation of hyperextension, I think, could, needs to be fully explained. Why would we have adapted to, to be able to hyperextend the knee? Well, if you can't hyperextend the knee, you have to keep the knee bent, which means your quadriceps have to constantly be working. And that's going to use up a lot more energy and calories. You know, our, our ape cousins, they can't hyperextend their knee. They have to walk with knees always slightly flexed, micro-bend. You hear that term a lot. Yep. And they use up 35% more energy or calories to walk than humans do because we can hyperextend that back leg and we actually get a bit of a recoil as we step forward. It's much more energy efficient. Now, the average is 78 degrees, depending on if you're a man or woman, but the range of normal thing is anywhere from zero to you know, about 17 degrees hyperextension. So I see a lot of people in Yang world, if somebody's doing uh, King Dancer, Nataraj, and they've hyperextended the standing leg, people are going to freak out and say, you've got to microbend the knee. But if you actually look at the biomechanics, there's actually very little stress on the knee ligaments. And here you're mostly worrying about the anterior cruciate ligament. There's nowhere near its tolerance. Damage to the ACL almost always happens in a dynamic movement. Somebody's running and they cut, they turn, football, or they're landing after a basketball jump or uh, skiing or something. It's always a dynamic, transient stress that's thousands of newtons of force. In a standing yoga pose, it's a few hundred newtons of force. It's nowhere near the limit of those tissues. But the problem is if you never stress those tissues, they're going to get weaker. So you need to hyperextend the knee. Those ligaments need to have a stress. And if you're not going to let them do it in those poses, when are you going to have them do it? Well, maybe knee in class. <laughs> right. So in a way, it almost sounds like you're hedging your bet and saying, um, okay, if you're really not comfortable doing this in a yang practice, at least do it in a yin practice to ensure that these tissues receive a, a, a life-enhancing stress. Right. right. But the challenge is uh, people will talk about the knee as in danger, but in yin, when do we stress the knee? What yin poses do we hyperextend the knee? The only place I can think of it is in forward folds. If someone were had elevated their pelvis, they're sitting up on a cushion or, or, or blanket or two, 
and then right. and then their hips are higher than their heels, and then there's the, maybe like an inch or two space behind the knee within which the hyperextension could occur. Yeah, and when I measure that, it's about 78 degrees, which would mean that you should never stand because that's what we do when we're standing. Okay, we'll pause the interview series right there. And in the next episode of Everyday Sublime, Bernie and I will continue to talk about specifically the science around yin yoga. We'll be looking at the theoretical concept of anti-fragility and what, how that plays out in our practice. We'll also be looking at the four levels of evidence in science. And we'll be discussing some of the research that really suggests how yin yoga is a benefit to our bodies, in particular our fascia, as we practice it. So I look forward to sharing that episode with you, as always, with insights from my practice to yours. If you'd like to learn more about Bernie Clark, please visit his website at yinyoga.com. Also, look into two of his wonderful books, one called The Complete Guide to Yin Yoga, the more recent book, Your Body, Your Yoga, looks at the impact of human variation on how we do asanas. On my side, if you'd like to train or practice with me, you can always look up my offerings at yinyogaschool.com. Until next time, I wish you the best, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thank you.